are listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life Moscow Campus, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. I'm excited to be here. My name is Josh Gray. How is the Real Life friends and family doing? You look fantastic. I can't really see you, but you look good. I can tell. Um, no, I'm excited to be here. Uh, again, my name is Josh. I'm the lead servant here at this church, or try to be the lead servant here. I keep speaking that into existence. I want to uh, continue to serve well. Uh, we are wrapping up our Forever Change series. Um, I just got to tell you on that boundaries study, if I were not uh, up here for those times when it was being taught, I would be in it. I too have read the book, but going through it in community and working together, we purposely have that study on a Sunday. So if you have uh, children, they can be getting a double dose of, of life for uh, kids and, 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 and growing in there. And so you can go to that and then come to church. So it's not a, in place of it, but we want to respect your time and your time units and make it easy for you to continue to grow in your walk with the Lord. Who could use an extra three or 400 hours uh, a year in their life? Yeah, me too, right? By saying no to the right things and yes to the right things, right? And so check that boundary study out. Um, so as I was preparing for this message this week, um, we talked about the, that this is the end of the Forever Change series, and we are forever changed. We do have a bunch of great things, and I'm so stinking proud of that series. I was going back through each one, and I was like, oh, that's, the, that's, that's so good. That's the best one. And then I get to like, oh, that one's really, oh, and I just kept going through, and I was like, man, I don't know why I was so shocked, but I was like, this is a great series. And man, thank you, Lord. And so today we talked about just uh, having some stories and, and, and we're going to review the series a little bit. So kind of get into your story mode, kind of get into the, like the, oh, look, nice little campfire story mode. Um, so let's dive right in here. Uh, here's this first gentleman's story. He says, uh, I'm married. I'm a father of four boys. I first came to real life about six years ago and love it. I have always liked to drink socially, but over the past six years or so, I have turned that into a daily thing. Evenings and weekends, binge drinking, time and time again. I chose the bottle over my wife, my family, and my friends. I have always done what I set out to do, and I did it. Alcohol, though, was a different story. I tried to quit going two weeks or a month, but it was a struggle. I knew my wife didn't like it, and I was a jerk to her when I drank, and I was not myself. As I drank more and more, shame, anger, resentment, and failure became part of my world. I drank to the point where it really started to affect my marriage. Fast forward to the end of June and July 1st. This is a pretty fresh story, right? July 1st, 2019, my wife was away at a horse show and I was home taking care of our ranch and working. My plan was to not drink at all while she was gone. That plan failed. I woke up on July 1st not wanting or able to go to work. I sat in my living room that morning and something amazing happened to me. I felt God speaking to me, and I mean deep in my heart, a peace came over me. God was fair to me, firm, but gentle and loving. God said, I've given you many chances to get this right. If you don't start making right choices, 
I'm going to make things worse. I'm going to show you one more time the way. And I must tell you, at this point, I had pushed God away. I was angry. I couldn't stop drinking. And I didn't know why. I said many times, if God is real, why doesn't he just fix it? Fix me. Well, he never left, as you can see. I had this peace and confidence that I had never felt before. I picked up the phone and called a coworker who I really didn't know that well. I just knew that he had the same problem I did several years ago. He was super understanding and gave me some advice. The next call was to my boss. I told him uh, my struggle, and I told him that I was going to check myself into rehab. He was super supportive and proud of what I had decided to do. Then came another call from upper management. And they also supported me. I made a call to a rehab center in southern Idaho, 415 miles from my home. Rainbow's End Recovery Center had an opening. All alone at home, I now had a plan. My wife, however, didn't know anything about it. She arrived home July 1st in the afternoon and learned what I had done and was relieved but worried. We left at 6, 8 morning, 6 o'clock in the morning, the next morning, for the rehab center. This whole time I felt at peace. Shame was replaced with pride. Anger was replaced with hope. And resentment was replaced with thanks and gratitude. I was thinking about shame being replaced with pride. That he was proud that he could make that decision. That God would walk with him through that decision. I spent the next month at Rainbow's Inn uh, working on my addiction and myself. Happy, at peace, confident, and healthy. My wife was very supportive and loving. I think she is still a bit amazed that I've come this far. While at rehab, my grandmother passed away. She was 94. The staff at Rainbow's Inn asked me if I needed to go home. And I said, no. I came here to fix this, and I am not leaving. The evening before my grandma passed away, I spoke to her on the phone, telling her that I loved her. And, and to fight hard. My grandmother and I were very close. This is where God's love and grace began to really be put on display. The next morning, texting and calling family back home, I found out my grandma was not doing well and failing. Then I got that text from my mother later that day at 3.51 p.m. saying that grandma had passed. As I was walking across the lawn, all of a sudden I was hit with this vision. Stop me in my tracks. I have no idea how long it was. The most beautiful background of red and orange and yellow, you know, like a beautiful sunset. I saw a hand reaching out, and it was my grandmother's partner who had passed last year. Then my grandma's hand reaching for his, and the next thing I saw was them laughing and skipping hand in hand away from me. They were much younger, though, like a young couple in love, and as fast as it happened, it left. I knew from that moment that my grandma was... Uh, uh, was okay, and I felt happy for her. God was showing me that all was going to be okay. I finished rehab, and I came home, going to AA and celebrate recovery weekly. All right. Community. Right? The whole time I was gone, I worked hard on my relationship with God. I told him that I was sorry for pushing him away and asking for forgiveness and thanking him for his love and grace. I prayed for the others who were uh, there with me. I prayed for my family and my wife and only asked God that he would take away my craving, take, take my cravings away and give me strength to live as he had wished me to live. I'm happy to say that I'm 46 days sober with no cravings, no need to ever drink again. I am 
forever changed by the grace of a loving God. Amen? I think he might have just got his 60-day chip at CR this week. Uh, it was pretty close to that, so he was pretty stoked about it, um, pretty excited. Uh, there's a story that's connected to this one, um, and she states it like this. I became a Christian at a very early age, around five, I believe. I remember coloring a picture on Easter Sunday, or Easter on Sunday school, of uh, Jesus on the cross and asking who he was and what was happening. So I am grateful for the teacher who led me to Christ. At 11, my mother was in a terrible car accident, leaving her a paraplegic. My dad was an alcoholic, so I was the primary caregiver for her. She died shortly after my 15th birthday. I was very close to her. My sister and I were 13 years apart. Uh, she was older, and, and we really weren't that close. And she died shortly after my dad from alcoholism. So I'm sure how you can see how my husband's battle with alcoholism was very challenging for me, no doubt. I need to explain a 32-year event prior to my marriage to my second husband. I was married and involved in a local cult. My first husband was a deacon who started living a double life. In the cult I was involved in, I lived in constant fear of judgment. As I look back now on it, there was certainly a way of control. I was afraid to leave home for more than 30 minutes and only get the bare necessities in case the pastor or his wife called or should I run into anyone who would call the church as I was called in for public shaming to follow. That just makes me sick. That's why we have to be so careful how we represent who, who God is for somebody to go through life for 32 years in fear. Fear and be afraid to go to a store, be afraid to be seen out, out there and be afraid to make mistakes and to be shamed. That's not who our Father in heaven is. I was a sinner saved by grace, but lived in constant fear. That fear was compounded by the fact that my first husband at the time fought a battle with cancer. So a very warped view of who God truly is was nurtured and became my daily reality over a very long time. My first husband divorced me. I started going to real life, finally severing ties with my old church, but I was scared to death. Can you imagine how much courage and faith it would take to step foot back into a church after that experience. It has been very hard for me to trust, no doubt. Derek Murphy was the first person I trusted, and I still miss him greatly. Derek Murphy was a staff member at our church, and I can't think of hardly any weeks that go by that I don't run into some fingers or veins that he touched of somebody's life. He's doing awesome. He's at a church down in Utah at K2 Church in uh, Salt Lake. He's doing great, but just his presence touched this lady's life. Fast forward, second husband's drinking got out of control. I saw a terrible downward spiral. At the end of my strength, I turned to God. I remember vividly being so broken and asking him to rescue us. He was gracious, and he began to work in my husband's life. It was a long, painful journey. I could honestly be, uh, begin to think he would be lost to, forever to alcohol. But God, in his grace, wouldn't let him go, or me. 
Although it was an extremely difficult time, as he spiraled down, I had a sense of peace. I had learned God was a God of love. The peace that I had was God-given. And regardless of what my husband chose to do, I was going to be okay. God was more anxious to be there alongside of me instead of the harsh taskmaster that I had erroneously came to believe due to a twisted reality that I lived for 32 years. I know for most people, they couldn't uh, begin to understand the mental freedom God and his grace has given me, but the words from the song, he is a good, good father. That's who he is, and I, have loved by, I am loved by him. That rings true for me. You see, our body is being forever changed. And it's, for, it's being forever changed because of God's good word and his faith and his gracefulness, but it's also being forever changed because you are allowing it to be forever changed in your life. You are, you are the body. You are making the changes. And as I started to walk through this sermon series, I got so excited, and I want to review some of it with you guys as we go through this. But we started out on, on what does it look like to be forever changed, and where do we see it in the text? And the first uh, sermon that we talked about was with Mary of Magdalene. And Marty preached that sermon, and we learned about her involvement in his ministry and how she was one of the ones that was funding Jesus' ministry. And, and as people were walking out of the service and the different conversations that I heard, they were amazed that they could be used. That in a patriarchal society where it was male dominant, all those things, that, that Jesus Christ would have these amazing ladies and, and a lady like Mary Magdalene being super involved in their ministry, and you have a place in God's kingdom. No matter where you are, no matter what your race is or gender is, or all those things, you have a purpose. And people walked out of here with purpose, believing they were a part of something great. They were invited to partner with God. And so one of the questions from that was, how can you use your influence and place in God's story to help push things along and make a difference? You are called to make a difference. The next one we talked about was Nicodemus and being forever changed. And we talked about what it looked like to be born again a rebirth. And we talked about what it would look like for what a Jew would think to be born again is and what we think to be born again is and how do we, how do we fix areas in our life that need to be born again because that's what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus. You need to go back to, to what it was like, Nicodemus, when God freed you from Egypt, freed your people, and you were born again. And we asked this question, are there any areas of your life that need to undergo a spiritual rebirth. You want to have a better prayer life. You want to have a better life in the text. You want to have a better life as you worship. Where is God calling you to have a spiritual rebirth? And then we have this sermon of the woman at the well, and that was taught by Emmy and uh, Marty. And it was really cool. If you remember that, they had the buckets up here. And in the buckets, they had all these different rocks and different places in the buckets. And they were talking about uh, shame and guilt and, uh, and things that you're proud of and things that identify you and how Jesus met this woman at the well. And we had some background and history about who she could have possibly been. And we talked about our brokenness. We asked, are you defining yourself by your brokenness, by the things that you've done wrong? Is that what gives you your name, your definition? Or, or could it also be you're defining yourself by your achievements, your titles? Or are you defining yourself by your encounter with Jesus Christ? 
Next sermon that we talked about, uh, Luke Yetter came down and he talked about his story, which was great, and how he's a first-generation Christian and he took his children's Bible to his first home group and they're like, all right, cool. He's got a children's Bible with coloring and all of these other different pieces in it. And we looked at his story of his life and we kind of reflected in our life is where are we? Some of us in here are first-generation Christians. But for all of us, we can move back and forth around where God has us. And so where did you identify with his story of being lost, having a marriage that's falling apart, and having somebody inviting you to come to a church? And remember the first church he went to, he said it smelled like dead old people. (laughs) Thursday night was awesome. Our church smelled like um, uh, French toast. And you walked in, you're like, ooh, this is great, right? But like he talked, and he talked about the courage. We talked about the courage of the of the gal in his uh, at his workplace to invite him one more time because they had tried the Jesus thing and his whole process as they went through it. So, are you lost? Don't know where to go. Are you new in your faith and you're looking for somebody who would walk with you? Are you walking with God but you're stuck? Or are you being a relational disciple maker like God has called us to be? The next one was the adulterous woman. We talked about that. And, and really, this was the, where, the, where, the, where they bring the woman caught out in adultery. They forgot to bring the dude out because they were too busy trying to trap Jesus. And Jesus was riding in the sand. And they were going to trap him and stone this woman to death because that's what she deserved. And Jesus said, let you who has no sin cast the first stone. And they all walked away starting with the oldest ones. And one of the points that I was received out of that is how do I let people make mistakes and be wrong and still let them save face and walk away so we can build relationships someday with them? So when somebody's wrong, do you just drill them right to the ground because they're wrong and you want the world to know that they were wrong and you were right? Or do you allow room for people to save face? So as we practice forgiveness, grace, and mercy, uh, who has been living water to you? Who let you be wrong? Who let you mess up? And still invited you to go along the journey? And is God calling you to be living water to someone else today? And then JT taught on Saul and Paul, and it was so cool as we got the background of who Saul was and why he would do the things he would do and why this passion behind uh, being right with the law and where he could go to the text and basically see that's why we kill these people because they're wrong. They're they're way on the outside, and we see that God is gentle with Paul. Well, kind of gentle because we weren't there. It wasn't us, right? But he, he, he converts them, and he becomes Paul, and he writes... Most of our New Testament, right? Chunks of our, our, New, our New Testament. And so we talked about when God shows up, do you make excuses? Well, I'm just not ready. I'm not sure I'm smart enough to do that. Or when God shows up and he calls you out, do you go? Who are you not willing to forgive or let change? Because God was willing to forgive and let Saul become Paul. And shouldn't we follow that example? And then um, we gave Darby his first crack at it, and he talked about Zacchaeus, and I thought this was really, really wise what he said. He said, do you interrupt well? Is your schedule so busy you don't have time for God's interruptions in your life for uh, particular points and purposes that he would have? Is there margin in your life to allow God to show up in unscheduled and unintended ways? 
talked about the pursuit angle because he was a coach, right? And that like Zacchaeus would be like, okay, there's the tree, Jesus, okay. And what was Zacchaeus doing? He was looking for Jesus. He was looking for the Lord. Let me ask you, are you looking for where the Lord would show up in your life? And then we talked about Simon Peter. And we talked about him failing. Where we'd see him fail three times and Jesus said, you will deny me three times. And then we talk about that look that Jesus gave him when the rooster crowed the third time after he realized he had failed and Jesus turned and looked at him. And we talked about that that look really tells you and your heart how you feel about God. Do you feel like God would look at you and just be like, told you, loser. I knew you did that. I told you you were going to do it three times. See? That would be an unhealthy way about how God views you. Or what if God looked at Peter and it was like this? It's all right. It's okay. I've got plans for you. You're actually going to be the rock that I'm going to build my church on. I'm going to build it on messy people who mess up, but that is not who you are. I love you. You can do it. Just get back up. It's okay. I hope that's the God that we serve, right? So your calling in God's kingdom doesn't change because you blew it. Let's make everybody feel good. How many people in here have really messed up once or twice before in their life? Okay, that's like everybody, right? Like everybody has really blown it. You are not disqualified from serving and loving uh, the Lord and using a story, no matter how painful it could be, to change people's lives. You are not disqualified. God's rede uh, redemption of us shows others hope. Are you allowing him to redeem your story? He redeems Peter three times. He says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. He take care of Three times he redeems him. Our God is a redeemer. Then we had the Roman centurion, and we had the word thaumadzau, where Jesus was amazed at the faith of this Roman centurion. We talked about what a Roman centurion was, what their position was. And we talked about how could Jesus be amazed at your face? What did this Roman centurion do to allow people to be amazed, Jesus to be amazed at his faith? Jesus talks about being amazed at somebody, uses that word three times. And one of the times is when he's amazed at the lack of faith. And now he's amazed at somebody's faith. And what did he do to be amazed? He acknowledged him as Lord. He called him Lord. He believed that Jesus could speak it, speak healing. And so what are some practical ways you can step out? This week was the question. Are you giving Jesus the opportunity to marvel at your faith? Do you acknowledge him? And then last week, Shane from uh, Cheney Real Life came and spoke, and it was awesome. I would go to that church. That dude's fired up. And he talked about us being ambassadors. And one of the key takeaways that I, that I took away was that we need to view people as permanent. That God's stuff, our building, our fancy chairs, our great music, all of this stuff is not permanent. 
But you sitting in this seats here today, your heart, your soul, you are permanent. And when we view people as permanent, as God's treasured possession, what do we do with them? People are permanent. So can you see why I was so fired up about our series as you go back and look at it? I had somebody come up to me on Thursday. They're like, I missed like five of those. I'm like, man, they're right there online. Like, they're great. They will, it will forever change you. Go get caught up. I'm usually like a 30-minute preacher. I'd be 20 on good days, right? And so when you think about being forever changed, what does that look like in your life? And I asked the Lord this week, I was like, Lord, help me. What do you want for your people? What do you want them to know? And whenever I'm going through some trials and stuff that I'm struggling with, I kind of dive into the, the book of Psalms. And I was reading through that, through the book of Psalms, and I just felt God just lay this on me. And so let's just throw it out here for everybody. Psalm 1, 1 through 3 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. You will be exactly like, we used to say the books you read and the people you associate with, but you'll be exactly like the social media that you allow into your life. The TV that you allow into your life, the shows you allow into your life, the people you allow to speak into your life five years from now. And what do we want our community to look like five years from now, real life family? A servant community that serves each other, that loves each other well. When they think real life, they think that church, they, that's, that's where Jesus would be. Because man, those people, they look like him. They serve, they love, they're generous, they do all of those things. So what does it look like in your own life? We're going to have the chance to stand in the way, of, uh, the, way the sinners do. We're going to uh, have the chance to do a lot of mocking over the next couple years, right? We have an election cycle come up. Let's just join and start mocking everybody. But whose delight it is in the law of the Lord who meditates on his law day and night? How about putting that in? What if it's 95% of the good stuff coming in and 5% of the bad stuff? Or maybe you can just switch your ratio. What are you allowing to come into your life? Let's be a church that meditates and understands God. That person, you know what they're like? They're like a tree planted by streams of water. Do you know when you fill yourself up with garbage, guess what overflows out of your life? Garbage. You ever hung around people that are just awesome cussers? They can cuss like crazy. Right? I'm interested to see when my son comes back out of the military, how he's doing. Right? Real, real straight up. Straight, no, no, no bad words, right? But if you hang around people that are like that your whole life, you're going to be like that. That will overflow. That will come out of you. If you hang around great soccer players, you're going to be a great soccer player probably or know a lot about it. If you hang around people that have some really bad habits, you're probably going to join them. Or you can be like the tree planted by streams of water, which yield fruit in the season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Let's prosper. Not for the name of our church, not because we need more seats, people to be in the seats. Let's prosper for the name of Jesus. But you, here in Psalms 3, but you, Lord, are a shield around me. You, I acknowledge you, Lord. You are my protector. My glory, the one who lifts my head high. How many people need the Lord to lift their head high? Need to be able to see the way he sees, right? I call out to the Lord. You have a conversation with him. Let's eat. And he answers. Oh, you actually hear from him, from his holy mountain. 
I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. Who gives us our breath? Who gave you your job? I will not fear, though, tens of thousands assail me on every side. When, you are, when everything is going silky smooth and you have no problems in life and you're not getting attacked at all, then you don't need the Lord, do you? Yeah, things are going great. What do I need the Lord for? Got my new car, got my house, got all my stuff squared away. When you're getting attacked and things are going on, you're kind of in God's battle. And sometimes our church goes through that and I see that and I feel that. And that's why we need to be around each other. That's why we need to be careful what comes into our lives. I will not fear though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord. Deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. I don't know why as a dude that just fires me up. It's like, it's, it's, it's like gladiator. It's like, just break the teeth, Lord. Break their teeth. <laughs> kind of like it. I like to, I want to be as, as, as guys in our church, like hands, hands of steel that could hold a baby and weep and cry because your heart is so soft. Amen. We need men that are like, that's why I like the like, ah! And then I like the heart, the soft heart. You need to know when you're supposed to be, ah! And you need to know when you're supposed to be very, like the most tender person in the world and see people. Anyway, I like when the Lord breaks teeth and stuff. It's cool. Uh, from the Lord comes deliverance. Who, who does it come from? Who's going to deliver you from your problems? The bottle? The TV show advice? Your friend who has the same problem? The Lord is going to deliver that. May your blessings be on your people. Last one. Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Do you think about his majestic name? You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avengers. Avenger. I think a TV show. All right, maybe it's the other one we'll put online. Um, uh, when I consider your, your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set into place, you got to still be thaumadzot about that. You got to be in awe. When you're sitting in a hot tub with my brother-in-law and we're just looking at the stars and just talking and just seeing, I'm like, man, like, those are set into motion. There's something pretty cool about that. Are you in awe of the Lord? Do you acknowledge the Lord? What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. Why do you care for us, Lord? You've put this amazing creation together. You have made them a little lower than angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers. Did you know you're a ruler? You're a ruler over the works of God's hands. You put everything under our feet. All flocks and herds and animals of the sky, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim, which the ocean is big, just in case you're curious, really big. The paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We're going to be forever changed when we acknowledge who God is.
and continue to acknowledge him. We're going to be forever changed when we choose to allow things to come into our lives. Right? He's worth it. He's worth it. We're going to take this time to uh, celebrate communion. If you are uh, serving it, thank you so very much. Um, we like to take it all together, uh, so hold those elements. Uh, if this, you're not sure what communion is, come and talk to me or any of our folks that would love to pray and talk with you about this, but probably just let it pass on by. Uh, if you're a visitor from another church, but you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you love him, you should take it. You should take it with us. So let's take a look at a couple, a couple points I wanted to hit. Our vision is to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. He says that every week. Correct. Check. Why? Why is our vision to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time? How come it's not to reach the world for Josh Gray one person at a time? We do not. We do not need to reach the world for Josh Gray one person at a time. We need to introduce him to Jesus because Jesus is the author. He's the Lord. He's the, he's the king of kings. He will change their hearts. Talk about like great theology and great uh, apologetics, which we're going to be fired up about that. We're going to do cool stuff with all of that stuff and continue to pursue that. But your story and the heart of Jesus is what changes people, his story. So how can we reach the world without being forever changed? Are you willing to continue to be forever changed? Jesus says in Matthew 4, 19, he says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's not what that says. I don't like that version, but I will make you fishers of men. I will mold you. I will transform you. Well, in order to be molded and transformed, you got to change what goes into your mind. You got to change your association sometimes. Allow Jesus to make you into what he wants to make you so we can go out and celebrate his story and how he's changed our lives. Our mission is to create biblical disciples through relational environments. Well, why are we doing it that way? Well, we have to be committed to relational environments and small groups if we want to be like Jesus. Jesus did it in a small group. We see that modeled. So to be part of our church and have a fun time here on Sunday and worship and all that stuff, that's great, but we're not going to make disciples on a Sunday. We make disciples by living life together, by studying God's word together, where you know, where you're just as excited to talk to the guy in the lobby about how WSU won yesterday and how close the Idaho game was. <laughs> you're just as excited to talk about that as you are. No, you're not going to believe this, Josh. I was reading Psalms this week. Come here. No, come here. I know, yeah, I know, we, 79 to 7. Yeah, I know. Um, but check this out. He says, right here, he said, blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked. Dude, we don't have to walk with the one in the, the, the wicked. We'll be blessed if we don't walk. And you're having that conversation in the lobby. You're jacked up about your faith. You're jacked up about what's going on. You're, this is more important than your fantasy football league. Ooh. <laughs> Yeah, that's a great one. Do you know more about your fantasy football starting lineup than you do about the book of Psalms? Oh, I know. This Christian thing's tough. But are you willing to commit to getting connected into a small group? I know you're very busy. But we want you to have relationship and do life. And to be frank with you, our small groups have not been great. And we are committed to fixing that. We are committing to equipping and not all of them. We've had some great small groups. 
I shouldn't have said that, dang it. Um, but some folks have had a negative experience or they're like, eh, I'm gonna do that. Or I've already done that before, like that one didn't work. No, Jesus' methods work. Are we allowing them to work? So will you commit to being into a small group? I, as your pastor, as a lead servant, am asking you to commit to getting into a small group. So as we uh, take this time to go to the Lord's table, uh, he, did, he did this in a small group. Shocker. Shocker. Does that mean we're doing it wrong if we're doing it in this size of a group? I don't know. Maybe not. No. Um, but, he, but the Lord did this in a small group, and he looked at his guys. On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember our Lord. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it and do it in remembrance of me. Let's remember him. Father, I just thank you for this time today, Lord. I thank you for this series that you gave us. I thank you for all the heart and soul that went into it, all the people that put time and effort and energy to come serve and pray and preach and putting it together, Lord, it has impacted my life. And I hope, Lord, um, that we will continue to let it impact others' lives. I want to continue to be forever changed. I got a lot of change to do. I'm a giant project for you, Lord, but I love how the way you're loving your project. I ask you to just continue to heal all of us in here. You would say who and what we are, Father. We would listen to your voice and know your voice. Help us to continue the path to be forever changed. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life on the Palouse. You can find out more about us by visiting us online at liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.